0: You're listening to the Living Word Church podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordchurch.org. Today's message comes from our executive pastor, Vincent Pavone. Someone once said that the two most important days in a person's life, number one, the day you were born. That makes sense, because if you weren't born, then nothing else matters. But the second most important day in a person's life is the day they discover why they were born. I mean, think about that. Then... If that is true, and I think it is, then there's an awful lot of people walking around on planet Earth who don't have a clue why they were born. You hear about people trying to find themselves. They're trying to find out what their purpose is. But for those of us who are, you know in Christ, we, we, we know that we have a purpose. Doug has said a couple of weeks ago that if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every single time, but If you know who you are in Christ, then you have a destiny. And that destiny is to be a passionate worshiper of God, to fulfill that destiny. If you are in Christ, if you receive Jesus as your Savior, then in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Peter tells us why we were born and why we were born from above. And the reason is that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light For this purpose, to show forth or to declare or to proclaim his praises. In other words, we were destined, called by God, to become worshipers of God. Believers are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And one of the good works that we do is naturally to live a life that's passionately as worshipers of God. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us desires, divine desires that are reflective of his greatness. And worship is one of those desires that he puts in our heart. It's second nature to us. It's like the air we breathe. It is is the evidence that uh, God's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, I want to say some things about worship today. Worship is much more than singing or playing instruments. Don't get me wrong. It is that. As Doug had mentioned, I led worship for 25 years. Kathy played the keys for 25 years. Music and worship is powerful to help us enter into a place of adoration and the reverence of God and, and, and gratitude and thankfulness. But it's not limited to just singing. Okay, I want you to know that. It is the reverence that we show to an audience of one with all of the passionate zeal that God deserves. Worship is intimate, whether it's one-on-one, me and God in my closet, me and God in my car, or it's corporate. Here, it's still intimate. It's us and God, and that is precious. It's everything that we do. In this life, it's it's singing, it's preaching, it's praying, it's it's serving, it's it's w- w- working as an usher, it's working uh, in whatever in the in the cafe. It, it is serving the Lord. Whatever the Lord has called you to do, do it. The Scripture says, with all of your heart, with all of your might. When we behold the majesty of God, we can't help but respond to God in worship. When my wife. Sees me lavish loving-kindness on her and goodness on her. She can't help but respond to me. So in the purest sense, worship is a love relationship between the, the one who is being worshipped and the worshiper. It is a love relationship. And how could, we, how could we be? How could we not respond to the one who has lavished such incredible love on undeserving sinners like me and you and all of us? How could we stay silent? On one of those occasions when Jesus was uh, confronted by the Pharisees, uh, they were, he was coming into the city of Jerusalem and they were shouting Hosanna and they were spreading out these palm branches before him, you know, and I'm sure you probably heard about some of that. And, and, and they're telling Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. They're making too much noise. They're, they're too excited. And Jesus said, if these should hold their peace, if these should be silent, the very rocks would cry out. Is that hyperbole? I don't think so. See, I read somewhere in the word where the very rock and the water came out of the very rocks. And if God can make water to come out of rocks, which is a pretty good trick, right? Uh, Then he could also cause the, the stones to praise his name. Today, today in a, in a stadium of 70,000 people who are going to be worshiping the heroes that, that they esteem, right? And they're going to be shouting and clapping and getting all kinds of over-the-edge over the excitement or over-the-top excitement, right? For, for heroes that will soon be forgotten. Uh, I think this is Super Bowl 66. Who won Super Bowl 54? Who won Super Bowl 57? Who could remember? Because they're easily forgotten. But how much more does the hero of heaven deserve the accolades and the adulation of his people who who achieved the greatest victory of all, who has rescued us from sin, death, and the grave? And you know what? He will never be forgotten. Or like the old song says, throughout heaven's eternal days, he'll never be forgotten. For God, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, never place your trust in Jesus. We're glad that you're here today, and I, I I I pray that you will understand some of the reasons why we do what we do. That we raise our hands in worship, we 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 sing out, we we speak out praises, we we clap, we we we're excited about serving the living God, right? But more than that, I hope you discovered today that there is only one name. Whereby which men must be saved, and when I talk about being saved i 'm talking about being rescued from guilt and condemnation and from eternal death and eternal death, but that is only part of the story that that song that we sang a little while ago about about walking with him eternally about everlasting joy will be the inheritance of the child of god that 's what I hope that you discover. I want to share with you a quote from a a pastor by the name of John Piper. He says, True worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and from sound teaching. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. John says it's the bone and marrow. I said it's the air that we breathe. I think we're both saying basically the same thing. It's the life source of the church, and it's the evidence that we truly have been rescued out of Darkness. In another one of those confrontational moments between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah and he says, well, did Isaiah speak of you hypocrites because this people worship me or they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship. Their worship is empty. Now, I tell you what, Jesus was intolerant of of vain worship. And so we should be as well, that our worship must be for God's sake, to draw near to God. It, it must be God for God's sake as the motivation of the affection that we show in a corporate setting like this. Back a couple of decades ago, I forgot to look up the exact date when uh, this took place, but I think it was sometime in the 90s. Uh, the church kind of lost its way for a while. We we, we, we kind of went off into uh, more of a focus on praise and worship music than we did on the one who was being worshipped. And thankfully, the body of Christ kind of made an adjustment, realized that it was going in the wrong direction. That we, I guess you could kind of say that we made an idol out of praise and worship music. And, and one of the uh, guys by the name of Matt Redman, who's a great songwriter and uh, Worship leader. In his church back in England, the pastor did something that was really bold. He removed the sound system. He took all the instruments off of the platform. And and Matt Redman says, we just gathered for worship on Sundays. And for quite a while, it was a lot of awkward silence. But eventually, people began singing out a cappella. And they began to offer up heartfelt prayer. And they had a fresh encounter with God. And I want to share a song that He wrote. Matt Redman wrote this song. This is the experience of what they learned from that particular point of time. And it goes like this. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring you something that's of worth that will bless your heart, I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within to the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I made it, when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. When Pastor Doug asked me to open up the series uh, on uh, worship, I'm, I'm so honored and blessed to, to do that. Um, I asked him one question. I said, can you, can you tell me in one sentence, what do you want to accomplish? And I love what he said. This is what he said. I really want to see our people more passionate and actively actively worshiping when we gather on Sundays. Great answer. I trust that all of us could agree with that sentiment and that desire to, 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 to want to offer unto God sincere, heartfelt worship as a priority of this ministry. As individuals, we need to press through distractions, whether those distractions are something that takes place in the room or whether those distractions are internal because we've come to church with a heavy heart because things sometimes are just tough and difficult. And so we need to be able to press through those things because when we do so, when we come with an expectation of meeting with God, things begin to happen. All things are are possible where where God is being manifested. We present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, and God blesses us with His presence. Now, in the Old Testament, when God was honored to to, uh, uh, show His favor on a sacrifice that was being offered to Him, He sent fire down from heaven and consumed that sacrifice. We don't want the place to go on fire, but we do want God to send the fire to ignite a new passion in our hearts for Him. See, worship is so significant that it has the spiritual dynamic to change the very course of a person's life. It has literally, in, in Scripture, changed the, the very course of a nation as well. It's so powerful. My wife and I have a history as as worship players and worship singers. And so we can also tell you that through many of those years when we've come to a place where I mean it was really hard and really difficult that we felt like we were on the verge of defeat we could tell you with absolute assurance that it was praise and worship that that moved us from fear to faith and from failure to victory because praise and worship is so powerful it is the remedy for depression and hopelessness and fear and doubt let's say it again Praise and worship is the God-given prescription that God has given to His children to break the power of hopelessness and fear. It's God's gift to His children as a spiritual weapon whereby we dismantle powers and, and, and dismantle the, the powers of the enemy. Let me show you how that works out. In Psalm chapter eight, verse two, Psalm eight. By the way, if you know anything about the numbers in Scripture, there are some significance with certain numbers. The number eight is the number of the Messiah. So this is speaking about Jesus. And it says this, Out of the mouth of babes and children, verse 2, you have ordained, you fashioned, you have created strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy. Who silenced the enemy? It's God who silenced the enemy. But how does he do so? By the mouth of babes and children children in the new testament in the gospel of matthew when jesus quotes this verse he tweaks one word and he says it like this out of the mouth of babes and children you have ordained praise because praise is the effective weapon that god has fashioned for us to silence the enemy to dismantle strongholds when praise is diminished your strength is diminished Say that again. When praise is diminished, so your strength is likewise diminished. Did you know that uh, Lucifer, and uh, when I say that word, I need a drink. (laughs) Lucifer, also known as Satan, did you know that he was once a high-ranking angel who led the, the, the myriads of angels in choruses of praise and honor to Almighty God? Until he figured, you know what, I deserve the praise and not God. And iniquity was found in his heart, and he led a rebellion against the, 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 the Lord and the good angels that were faithful to God. Uh, that's the reason why he so hates and is so outraged by the church's corporate worship and does everything he can to distract us from 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 the one person that we need to focus on, and that is God himself and all of his attributes and all of his beauty. And, and the enemy tries to disrupt our corporate worship as well. Now, the Bible is filled with examples of men and women who have gone from from, from difficult circumstances to become heroes of the faith. Let me give you a couple of examples. The first I think of is Job. When Job experienced unimaginable pain and sorrow, the loss of his children, the loss of his health, the loss of his wealth, the Scripture says that Job fell to the ground, kicking and screaming like a little girl. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says that Job fell to the ground and he worshipped. And he said, blessed be the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the Lord. And in all of this, the scripture says, Job did not sin against the Lord. He was being tested. And in that testing, he came forth as pure gold. Now, let me, let me say this. In the New Testament, James quotes Job as an example, or he points Job out as an example of enduring faith. Now, there's a connection between Job being a worshiper of God in the good times and in the bad times and the fact that Job had this enduring faith. David is likewise known for being a worshiper, an extravagant worshiper of God, who sometimes forget that the Psalms were written as songs to be sung in the assembly of the congregation. And David is also, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he's known as the man after God's own heart. And you cannot separate David being the man after God's own heart and the way that David extravagantly worshipped. In fact, David didn't care, even when he was king, what people thought about him. He said, I would rather be undignified in the sight of men rather than receive the praise that comes from men. One example of the way that David handled Sorrow and pressure and stress was, was when he was praying for his child that was sick. And for seven days, David refused comfort. He refused to eat anything. He refused to, to wash or change his clothes or be comforted in any way. But he prayed earnestly that God would spare the life of his child. And when, when David, at that seventh day, perceived that his servants were talking, that the child was dead, David got up, changed his clothes, washed himself, And he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Truly, there's something incredible of a transaction that takes place between the heart of a worshiper and God that's unexplainable, that that defies logic. Here's a quote from Sam Storms. He says, Worship begins in the mind with deep biblical thoughts about God, robust and expansive truths about who God is, his greatness and his glory. This in turn ignites the heart and awakens passionate affections for God. This in turn finds expression in all of life, whether it's singing or speaking or serving or sacrificing or acting or dancing or kneeling, as well as in all the decisions that we make in this life, the life that we live. In other words, Having these deep thoughts about the greatness and the awesomeness of God has a profound effect upon the way we live and what we actually become. Passionate worship should be the goal of each and every one of us here at Living Word and i tell you what it is it is a challenge for us this is not a rebuke this is not a you know correction this is not a scolding you know th- this is this is an encouragement let's let's go to the next level let's let's go higher in god as we go deeper in our love and our reverence for god let's grow in shameless worship when we corporately gather to worship god moves in our midst the reason is because he is enthroned upon the praises of his people. That is he, is, he literally inhabits the praises of his people. And so when we offer to him praise and worship and adoration, that's sincere and from the heart he moves among us. You may have heard the story about Paul and Silas who on a missionary trip, they're in the city of Philippi. That's, that's Philippi in Macedonia, not, not the Philippines, okay? Just so you don't get confused. There's a slave girl that is making her, her own as a fortune by fortune telling. And Paul expels the demon out of this girl. And so now their, their ability to make a profit is gone. And so the powerful influences of that city have Paul and Silas brutally beaten and cast into prison. Now, what happened to them? Well, you might say, they might say to themselves, is this, is this how God, you know, repays our service to him? No, no, instead of complaining, instead of, you know, saying how terrible life is and how unfair life is, because unfair, un, life is unfair at times. But instead of instead of murmuring or complaining about what happened to them, the Bible says that at the midnight hour, in the darkest moment of the day, they are singing hymns and praying, and the jail and all the prisoners in the jail heard them singing and heard them praising God. And then suddenly there was an earthquake. Is it a coincidence? No, no coincidence. And all of the prison cell doors swung open. But to show you that this is no just simple coincidence, all of their individual chains were unfastened of every single prisoner. Now the jailer was responsible for the lives of the prisoners, and he probably was a a veteran Roman soldier who receives this nice cushy job as a jailer, but he knows that he, he's, he, his, his life is now just about over, and he's about ready to fall on his sword because of what's going to happen next. But out of the darkness, he hears a voice, and that voice says, do yourself no harm because we're all safely here. He calls for a light. And he realized what has happened. All the men, their chains are, 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 are unfastened. The, the prison cells are all open, and they're all in there. And you know what his first day question is? Sir, what must I do to be saved? And that night, Paul and Silas preached to him and his family and probably a lot of the other people that were in jail as well. And those people, beca- they, they gave their hearts to Christ, and they became the charter members of the church in that city. I don't want you to miss this because this is is the reason why I told this story. Is that when we fulfill our destiny as worshipers of God, we also open the possibility of becoming deliverers of men. That our destiny as worshipers of God is tied together with the destiny of those that are to be saved. You see how important this subject is? Powerful. Here's another quote from, or here's a quote from Sam Storms. What happens, and I don't think I have this up on the screen, but I added this in. Worship happens when the mind is gripped with a revelation of great truths about God, and the heart and the affections are set on fire with joy and satisfaction and gratitude and gladness and admiration, and the, and the mouth explodes songs of praise and proclamations of the incomparable greatness of God great definitions of what worship is. Anointed worship creates an atmosphere where God can freely move among us because our hearts are pure toward Him. Heartfelt worship is fixing our thoughts on the majesty of God. But what makes it, what makes it so powerful is that Jesus Himself, because we're the body of Christ, manifests Himself by His Spirit in our midst where all things are possible. In World War II, uh, passed by the name of Derek Bonhoeffer. You may have heard stories about him before. He was a, a Nazi dissident, an anti-Nazi dissident, and he was arrested because of the things that he said about the Nazis and about about Hitler and all of that, and he was sent to prison. Eventually, he was executed. But this is what he said about about corporate worship. He said the physical presence of other believers is a source of incomparable joy, and here it is again, strength, to the believer. This is, this is where our strength is manifested when we are corporately together, worshiping God, hearing the Word of God being preached. Now, I believe that one of the harmful effects of this pandemic with this lockdowns has been the disruption of our corporate worship. By the way, if you've heard the, the report from John Hopkins Hospital, lockdowns have accomplished absolutely nothing in saving lives, or minimal at the very least. But I tell you what, the singing of the gospel and the preaching of the gospel, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. And I can tell you what, that souls are saved when we gather together and when we worship the only one who's worthy of our worship as believers we need to get back to corporate worship i'm i'm grateful that we're able to stream the service for those who can't who can't be here in person but it's time to come back to church it's time to come back in the body of christ you see the the worship is not a spectator sport is that right or is it the other way around i was right You, you you can't watch worship you know, and you may be home and you may be watching worship, but that's not entering into worship. And and we we cannot corporately worship unless we gather together. And that's why it's so important. I saw this statement and I don't know who wrote this, but somebody said worshipping Jesus together corporately may be the single most important thing we do. Let that sink in. The single most important thing that we do because of what comes out of it what what emanates from the corporate worship of coming together martin luther said in my house my heart is cold but when i gather together with the people of god god ignites a fire in my soul at the beginning of the jesus movement back in the in the in the 70s i guess we could say late 60s early 70s there was a an, an influential A worship leader, musician, by the name of Keith Green, and uh, this guy was was sold out. I mean, whenever I heard him talk, there was always this conviction about here's a guy who was absolutely sold out, no compromise to God. You know what his desire is? His desire is just like Matt Redman that we would come to the place where we're living out the lyrics that we sing that our lives are, are in harmony with the lyrics that we sing about God. This, this is what he wrote. Here's a guy who was sold out. This is what he wrote. He said, I repent of ever recording one single song or ever having performed one concert if my music and more importantly, my life has not provoked you to godly jealousy or to sell out more completely to Jesus. He said, well, if that guy who is No compromise made a statement like that. Then where where do I fit in, right? You know what? We all need improvement. We all need to be more zealous when it comes to our love and devotion and our service to Jesus. There's a song that he wrote. My eyes are dry, my faith is old. My heart is hard, my prayers are cold. Cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. Now, that's not the end of the song. If that was the end of the song, we could all be discouraged. But he ends it by saying this, What can be done for an old heart like mine, softening it up with the oil and wine? The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew with the wine of your blood. Matt Redman, maybe 20 years ago, this man, probably closer to 40 years ago, wrote about getting to the heart of worship. In fact, we introduced a song a few weeks ago called, He Will Hold Me Now. And I love one of the lyrics in that because it it puts us all on that that same level. He says, I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter, tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. We, we are held by a Savior unto him who is able to keep us from falling, to present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. This is responding in gratitude to the one who not only saved us, but to the one who keeps us and who preserves us faithful in that day when we stand in the song that we sang in heaven with all the heroes of the faith. As believers, we know why we were born and we understand that we have a destiny. So let's encourage each other to be the worshipers of God, to to love him more, to to serve him more, to to, to live that that life out. So let me just kind of bring this message down to a closing. When we offer unabashed worship, the Lord fights for us. He dismantles strongholds and he sets captives free. So let's come together when we meet corporately, believing that we got all things are possible. We saw that worshipers are empowered to handle life's disappointments and life's sorrows in a unique way because it it defies logic. It defies reason for the way that some in Scripture and some even in our own experience have gone through difficult times. If I had the time this morning, I think I would go around and and I know what I would find. I would find people who said, you know what, I came into service One day, I remember I came into the service with such a a heavy heart, just so discouraged, and something happened in the service. I don't know. I can't explain it, but but when I left, I I left with a renewed sense of hope. I left with a a sense of victory. I I, I left lighthearted. How many of you can testify to that? That is a reality that takes place in the worship service. How could we possibly remain silent? How could we not respond to the one who's lavished his unconditional love on us? So let's get back to the heart of worship. And if some of the lyrics that I shared with you from the different songs is applicable to you today, then as we close today in song and prayer, just let your heart reach out to the one who's worthy of praise. If you're here this morning or if you're listening to the stream and you've never accepted Christ, I hope what you've heard is that there's only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. He shed his blood for us to forgive us of our sins. And so, I would ask you to to do this if you would like to receive Christ. This is this is what you need to do. It's not magical words. Say, so, "Jesus, I believe that you're God's son sent to save sinners like me by grace through faith by the shedding of your blood. Forgive me. Now please fill me with your Holy Spirit. And this is my advice to you. Begin to follow Jesus. Begin to come to the worship services and enter into worship. Open the Word of God. Begin to ask the Holy Spirit to open up your mind to the greatness of God. And when you do that, when you do that, you will be filled with divine destiny and purpose. And you'll know exactly not only why you were born, but you'll understand the destiny that connects you to that one who gave you life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for this opportunity to share the word of God today. And I know that the word of God is powerful, not because I spoke it, but because you've given us that word. Your word transforms us. Your word washes us. It renews us. Like the verse of that chorus that I shared a minute ago, let, let the oil and the wine. The oil is your spirit of love and the wine is the, is the cleansing of your blood. Would you, would you wash us? Would you cleanse us? Would you ignite a fire in us? Would you cause there to be, Lord God, a passionate zeal for the living God, worthy of the living God, be created in this place in a new way. May we reach new levels of devotion to you, Lord God, because you are good and gracious.